0: Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support.
1: You know, uh, for the first three months after Rob died, I decided to wear black. I ordered clothes online in the first couple of weeks after he died, and it was hot. Lots of black tank tops and black shorts and black dresses because I needed some kind of way to embody what was happening inside of me. And that's a ritual too. Uh, We think of services, we think of um, memorials of some kind in church, but I would encourage church leaders to get creative. Maybe after someone in your church passes away, we encourage everyone to wear black.
2: Those are the words of Clarissa Mall as we revisit a popular program that first aired nearly a year ago. Clarissa is a writer, and she recounts in two episodes her experience of becoming a widow and a single mom of four young children. The name of this program is Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He Derek. was a like golden boy. All we can do right now is come Extreme together.
1: Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes.
2: Life Support is a co-production of Five Stone Media and Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. I'm Five Stone Media's Executive Director, Steve Johnson, and our host is Paul Johnson, the lead pastor of Ridgewood Church and a trauma survivor himself. So this really is a conversation among trauma survivors. Also a reminder that this was recorded via the conferencing platform Zoom. And here to begin the conversation is... Pastor Paul.
0: Hey, so glad to have you on Life Support, and we want to talk about suffering in a way that will help really build your faith, help you to find more of Christ. And our guest that we have alongside of us today, we had a chance to meet last week. Her name is Clarissa Mall. She's a writer that has done really great work, and it's so good to have you again. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: The article that really we began to talk more about last time is called Letting Grief Come to Church. And your story is not an easy story. You lost your husband uh, to a hiking accident about 11 months ago. You've got small children.
1: You know, this is a story that I never wanted to tell. Uh, 10 months ago, almost 11 months now, on a family vacation, my husband, Rob, uh, went on a hiking trip. He had been planning it for a long time with an old friend and he fell to his death on a uh, barrier peak in Mount Rainier National Park. You know, Rob uh, left early that morning for his hiking trip. He'd done it so many times. He was a conscientious, skilled hiker. And uh, as he kissed me goodbye in our camper, at our campsite, I thought nothing uh, different. There was no signal or sign that this would be a day that was different from any other kind of day. But we always had a communication plan. We always determined that he would call me when he got to the trailhead back from his hike. And uh, there was a time where I could be nervous. And that was when I could call for friends for help. And I knew that sometimes when you're hiking in the backcountry, you lose self-service. And so I didn't think anything about it when he was an hour late. But then when the hours began to creep by, I started to get nervous. And at 7 o'clock that night, uh, two chaplains arrived in a big white SUV and changed my life forever.
0: Uh, you've been working through a lot of that and working through what it'll be like to come back to church when we all get to come back to church. We're trying it uh, not s- pretty soon here, and it's a lot more work to open a church than it is to close it, I'll tell you that right now. But you have some really excellent points here about how to prepare to take care of those who come back to church and are grieving for whatever reason. And your first point we talked about last time was integrating lament in worship. Why don't you just do a a brief recap of what that point means, and then we'll move on and try to to find the the truth in the rest of these, because it's so good. So what does it mean to integrate lament into worship?
1: Well, you know, the Bible has a lot of lament in it. We learn early on in Genesis that the world is not as it should be. And really from the very beginning of the Bible till the very last few chapters, do we see people mourning over sin, the pervasiveness of sin, the brokenness of the world. But somehow in worship, many times this kind of mourning doesn't show up. We, perhaps we want to live as though it weren't true that the church, that sanctuary can be a space where we can pretend that the rest of the world doesn't touch the life we have with God. But the reality is that our life with God is one of walking through pain and suffering. And God is big enough, God is loving enough to receive all of the emotions that come along with that kind of grief, with that kind of suffering. And so when I talk about integrating lament into worship, I'm hopeful that churches will see lament as not a niche kind of service, but a regular rhythm of the Christian life that each day, as I look about me, whether I'm reading the news, whether I'm looking at my own life, there are deep things for which I sorrow. And when I bring them into worship, that's the place where it all makes sense. That's where the arc of the redemptive story is played out in, uh, in full view. That's where I see the fall and all of the sorrow. And I see Jesus and I see the promise of a future with him. And it's only in worship, I believe, that lament makes sense. And so we don't need to be afraid of it. We don't need to feel like we're Debbie Downers if we include it in our worship services. What we're really doing when we include lament and worship is we are acknowledging the felt needs, the reality of our broken world. And we're offering that brokenness to Jesus in the hope of his eventual redemption.
0: Yeah, I think pastors need to hear that too, because the goal that we have as pastors shouldn't be that everybody leaves necessarily, you know, feeling on top of the world. The goal is to have them meet God, meet Christ. And sometimes that's really a wonderful experience Sometimes it's hard, but you're right. Life doesn't stop outside the door of the church, and unfortunately we've kind of developed this church style that almost forces people to do that so they don't become what you said, a Debbie Downer, and that's how they feel. All right, second thing was to develop remembrance rituals, and this really caught my eye. Tell me about that.
1: Well, you know, a couple months after Rob died, my husband Rob uh My church came to me and they said, how can we help you? And Advent was coming soon. And I said, what if we designed worship that would acknowledge the loss that people bring into what many people see as this happy season? And so that's what we did. We designed a worship service of lament where people could bring their brokenness. They could name their loved one who had passed away. And some people named people who had been gone a long time. This wasn't a new grief kind of service. Uh, We carry our grief throughout our lives. And so this was for anyone who wanted to remember their loved one and wanted a space in which to worship, to commit themselves to God and to recommit their loved one to God. The thing that we do when we commit their body to the ground and their soul to God, those remembrance rituals allow us to always be giving that person back to God because if we're honest with ourselves when we're grieving we want to clutch we want to hold on to that person and our remembrance rituals in the church allow us to always be giving that person back to God saying this person was yours before he was mine and it also gives the community an opportunity to remember your loss corporately you know after the first year after loss after the first couple of months honestly the cards stop coming the meals stop coming. Few people keep asking how you're doing, but grief is still your companion. Uh, And a corporate ritual allows the group to remember with you, to walk beside you in a way that's very tangible and allows you to be reminded that you are not forgotten.
0: When I was pastoring in Vancouver, Canada, and that's where our son was killed, the One of the local churches there did a service at Christmas time where you would bring the name of your loved one on a Christmas ornament and each person then would walk up and put it on the tree and kind of resisted doing that because it just felt uncomfortable and kind of hokey and, you know, it felt very vulnerable until they asked me to be the speaker at it. I thought, well, this isn't going to be good. And, you know, sure enough, I didn't make it through without crying and so forth. But then we started attending that, and it was amazing the freedom that happened when, number one, you watched everyone else who had a similar sort of story, all different, but still grief. And there's just, it's almost like there's strength in numbers when you do that. You know, maybe that's the way God wired us, to share in that.
1: You know, uh, for the first three months after Rob died, I decided to wear black. I ordered clothes online in the first couple of weeks after he died. And it was hot, lots of black tank tops and black shorts and black dresses because I needed some kind of way to embody what was happening inside of me and that's a ritual too Uh, we think of services we think of um, memorials of some kind in church but i would encourage church leaders to get creative maybe after someone in your church passes away we encourage everyone to wear black and a widow connected with me and said you know i didn't want to do that after my husband died it felt like i was really sticking out but i thought To myself, if I sat in my sanctuary and the mom who miscarried wore black and the mother who lost her son in an accident wore black, the man who lost his wife wore black, the man who lost his job wore black. If all of these ways that we're grieving, we were able to somehow make tangible, I think people would feel less alone we would feel less awkward about the kinds of larger corporate rituals because we'd be acknowledging that everyone has a grief burden that they bear.
2: More with Clarissa and Paul in a moment. You're listening to a program that aired nearly a year ago, but yet remains relevant today as there are so many people hurting in our churches. If you'd like to hear more podcasts like this and more resources, log on to lifesupportresources.org. LifeSupportResources.org. And now back to Life Support.
0: Yeah, maybe pastors would look out and actually see the pain that their congregation's in too instead of just glossing over it. I loved what, you know, Charles Spurgeon always said, you know, in every pew there's somebody in your congregation that's hurting badly and you got to preach to that. But yet it's hard to see that as a pastor. And uh, you, you feel like you're, you know, preaching to the choir sometimes. So that's really good counsel. This number three on your list of how to prepare and really minister to people that are grieving as we all come back to church, Uh, train ministry leaders to be grief aware. And this goes right to the mission of Five Stone Media, where you can find uh, this podcast on video. Uh, Ministry leaders, they don't teach this in seminary. They may give you a cursory class. You know, you have to go through Counseling 101 or something, and it's hard to know how to be with people. And I after, you know, before my son died and even after, you know, my wife had died in between there, I still look back and go what a, I did I said some really foolish things and I I shouldn't have done that and what was I thinking because I didn't know. So how do you train ministry leaders that are so busy and and so, you know, kind of uh always ministering to people over and over again. What did you have in mind when you wrote that? Train ministry leaders to be grief-aware.
1: Well, I think there are a lot of fantastic resources for child bereavement and for adult bereavement. Uh, There are resources available from organizations like the Stephen Ministers, uh, but also from other secular organizations that are just trauma-informed.
0: Leaders that aren't trained many times end up either not saying anything or saying the wrong thing. But there are resources, right, to help train ministry leaders that want to learn.
1: There are excellent resources available, yes. I link to some of them in my article in uh, Christianity Today. But another great resource, particularly for working with children who are bereaved, is the Dougie Center. They're uh, based in Uh, Florida I believe and they offer many resources for how to talk to children about grief which will be something especially after COVID-19 as uh, People are coming back to church. There are going to be grandparents who are missing now from children's lives uh, even parents who are missing from children's lives and so resources like that can be made available to Sunday school teachers and uh, youth workers just ways to increase our sensitivity to the burdens that those around us bear. You know, grief ministry is whole church ministry. It's ministry for everyone, and you don't have to be a professional. You just need to be tender. I've found that tenderness is the number one quality of a good helper, a good grief companion, someone who is slow to speak and quick to listen, who is patient, I mean, it's all the fruits of the spirit. So if we're working on the fruits of the spirit, I think that's the kind of training that will make you a good grief companion.
0: And then as we come out of this isolation, at least we hope we're going to come out of this isolation here at some point soon, your fourth point here is to prepare to offer practical care. And I've got to tell you that I'm worried about what's going to happen when people come out of isolation and go back to church. Because I fear that people have already made a huge adjustment to go kind of into quarantine or lockdown or whatever you want to call it, and they sort of manage through that. And all of a sudden, they're going to have to readjust. And I fear by a couple of months' time, we're going to act like it never happened. And I, I fear the mental health aspect of that. And so this idea of practical care is so vitally important. What can churches do to prepare, to help people that are coming back in that way?
1: Well, I think the first thing to do is to mobilize your forces. You have a number of people in your congregation who, because restaurants have been closed, have learned to cook over the last few months. Uh, Mobilize them, get them ready to serve in that way. You know, the number one way to make sure you have a new visitor retained is to plug them in, right? And plugging them into practical ministry is the perfect way for them to begin using their gifts in ways that are vitally needed, especially after pandemic. You're gonna have people who need um, work on their homes, work that's been delayed because they weren't comfortable going to a home improvement store because they had to wear a mask. Maybe they were medically vulnerable. Now's the time to shore up those handymen who found over the last 11 weeks that they had a lot of time on their hands to work on house projects. Those kind of skills will be really necessary You know, we don't have to be a professional electrician to come and help somebody um, work on a lighting fixture that's not working in their home. We don't have to be a chef to offer someone dinner. And there are gonna be a lot of people who need rides, a lot of those kinds of things that are just every day. And we've longed to be with one another, and now this will be our chance to really put into action those words of longing that we've been saying over and over to one another over the last couple of months.
0: Yeah, our worship leader will tell me as, the, you know, as they're getting ready for live stream, it's um, never had an easier time getting volunteers because they all want to get out of the house. And so they're ready to do something. All right, number five is something that when you read it, you go, wow, like we don't talk about this enough in church. Consider death so that's that's a provocative little uh, two words there tell me about that
1: well i married a man who in his 30s wrote a book about dying so ever since we were first married death was a common conversation topic in our home when we had newborns and toddlers we talked about our last wishes and when rob died even though it was a surprise i knew exactly what to do we had talked about what he wanted from end-of-life wishes, palliative measures, um, funeral procedures, all of that. We've t- we had talked about that oh, almost 15 years before and had begun that conversation 15 years before and continued talking about it. And so even in the trauma of that moment, I knew what to do. And there are a lot of churches who are reeling when death comes to visit. Uh, They don't know how to handle those hard conversations. They don't know how to care for people who are grieving. And in trauma, we use the tools we have. And most often, we're woefully unprepared for what we face. But we can get prepared. That's the, the encouragement of considering death. We don't have to experience death as a trauma every time. We can be prepared. And that means talking about end-of-life issues. It means having a Sunday school class that is willing to talk about the different options that are available to families, maybe partnering with a hospice organization to talk about what it means to attend to someone who is dying. We can talk about funeral procedures. You know, there are a lot of people who have had to forego those kinds of things uh, because of COVID, and they're going to want to find ways to remember their loved one. And rather than scramble and try to figure it out on the fly, I want to encourage churches to think about death. It is from the beginning of the scriptures until the end, a common thread in the Bible. And we want to wipe it away. We want to say that Jesus conquered death and he did, amen. But it's still here. We're still waiting for death to be finally defeated. And for that final, oh death, where is your sting? moment to happen. It hasn't entirely happened yet for us. And so it behooves us to be prepared to be able to talk about this thing that honestly the world doesn't want to talk at all about. And I believe that when we do that, we're going to become radically different environments. People will be drawn to the church because we not only ask the hard questions, but we sit with people in the hardest moments of their lives and Grief is a solitary experience. And so when any person is willing to join me in that hard space, I count them a good companion. Mm -hmm. And I believe the church can be that kind of companion.
0: And it seems like, you know, in all of these areas that you've mentioned here in this article, Letting Grief Come to Church and Christianity Today, it takes forward-looking leaders that are willing to kind of step out of the normal to bring these things about. And so if I'm a pastor right now listening, or a ministry leader, what's a first step? How do I become educated? How can I start to minister to my flock better?
1: Well, I would certainly recommend reading my husband's book, The Art of Dying. Uh, it was published by InterVarsity Press. You can find it on their website or from other booksellers. It's a wonderful resource, a good starting place to talk about how to recover a Christian way of dying. I think that's a first step. We have to get comfortable with saying the D word Mm
2: -hmm, in mm -hmm. our
1: churches. And after that, after we've become comfortable with talking about death, when we're okay with uh, it coming to church with us, then our moment comes to learn to care for people who are grieving. And there are many people in your congregation who are not early on their grief journey who have enough space from that moment where their life changed forever that they have hard-won wisdom to share with you. Tap into those resources. Ask those people those kinds of questions. What helped and what didn't? How could I have cared for you better? And be willing and vulnerable enough to receive the hard answers. You know, I think it's hard for church leaders to hear that people often run from church instead of run to it in sorrow. But I don't believe that's the way it has to be. I know that since the very beginning, Jesus has been an infinite source of comfort for me. And I long to be in worship again after Rob died. And now with pandemic, I still long to be in worship. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be hard. That pew has an empty spot beside me now, but I believe that the church, that Jesus offers the kind of love that can overcome that awkwardness. And when Christian leaders also understand that Jesus offers that comfort, he walks with us in our lonely places, I think we'll become a little less uncomfortable with fumbling our way to doing this well.
0: Clarissa, that's very wise. And how can someone read more of what you've written? What are some of the points where they can access your work?
1: Well, I blog three days a week at clarissamall.com. It's mall like doll, M-O-L-L. And uh, I also regularly write for Christianity Today and other resources uh, such as the Gospel Coalition. My goal in ministry now is to remind people that they're not alone. I think from the very beginning of my grief journey, I've wanted to come alongside, not as someone who gives advice or uh, tells you that I have got a degree in how to do this well, but as someone who says, my heart hurts, I'll walk beside you as your heart hurts too. And so that's really my ministry goal and the goal of all of the things that I write.
0: Well, there's no more noble tasks. So thank you for doing that. And we really appreciate you being with us. It's really good to meet you.
1: Thank you so much. And may God
0: bless you. And, you know, what, what Clarissa is saying is so true that you can trust that God is watching out for you even when you are hurting. And hurting is a part of life. And you may be really hurting right now, especially because of this pandemic. In 1 Peter four nineteen, the Bible tells us, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. And so you right now are watched over by Christ. His arms are open for you. You can rest there, and you can suffer there, and he loves you deeply. So please be encouraged by that, and be encouraged that there are other believers who love you as well. I want to thank you for being here for life support, and I want to thank our partners, Faith Radio, Five Stone Media. You can access Faith Radio at myfaithradio.com and their entire network. You can go to fivestonemedia.com to watch a video version, and you can hop on our website, too, at myrwc.org slash life support. And I'd love to have you on Twitter as well, at Pastor Paul J. So thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time right here on Life Support.
2: Life Support is a co-production of Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota, and Five Stone Media. For a video version of this conversation, Log on to fivestonemedia.com
0: slash life support. Thanks for listening to this Life Support podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support.